everyone. Welcome back to the It's a Mind Game podcast. My name is Jade and today I'm super excited to have a fabulous new guest on with us. Her name is Jessica and she is a women's health and fitness coach who helps women reclaim their bodies and confidence by making them strong and empowered warriors. Now, I found you through a mutual friend of ours and it turns out you've got quite the HA recovery journey yourself. Yeah, it, it's, oh, I think it was intense because uh, it lasted a quite a number of, an active number of years, but like a, an all in attempt of like six months or so. But yeah, yeah it's been a journey. <laughs> I just love the language because uh, part of your intro was from your Instagram page. And I feel like there's a common theme with women that have gone through HA that our whole view on, I guess, women as a warrior and our capacity to do things completely shifts I guess, pre and post that HA journey. Part of what you do with women now, and I guess that inspiration of women being warriors and so confident, does part of that come from what you went through or is that just something that you've always sort of carried with you? I think definitely some of it has come from that, but it's something that I've remained true to in terms of like resilience and grit throughout my whole life, but also helping other women realise that too. because I've been, I've been in the health industry for a while, but I think definitely going through HA has changed my perspective a lot on a number of different things, specifically acceptance of body, um, more so in all shapes and sizes, like for myself rather. Um, but I definitely, it's become a lot more apparent of the different psychological processes that people sort of need to go through to break through those barriers And then if you think of yourself like a warrior, then it provides you with that sort of fierce and fire to actually, you can tackle anything. Yes, there'll be hurdles along the way. Um, But if you just keep going, like you'll be fine. Yeah, I am. Because one, I love that because it's so true. And it's so easy to kind of get lost in a world of, you know, stress and anxieties. And I guess there's always so much going on that sometimes we feel like we don't have the power to take charge and just keep stepping forward. And sometimes it's that reminder. It's like, no, you are a warrior. To just keep going. Now, would you mind shining some light on, I guess, your entrance into the health and fitness industry, what life was like for you, how HA come about, just the whole whole journey? <laughs> okay, I'll go back to the beginning. So um, I did, like, like, very back to the beginning. Like, I wasn't exactly the, the healthiest kid. And then I did 12 months in the Navy where I did, like, the gap year. And throughout that gap year, um, I actually ended up gaining like 15 kilos, um, which I didn't like care about. I didn't even know, didn't really have a care in the world. And then when I left and realized how much weight I'd actually put on and how unhealthy I was, that kind of started my, I would say, a, approach into, into health and fitness, where I actually started to, to monitor what I was eating. I started to move my body a lot more. But it wasn't until, and that, that was 2009, but it wasn't until sort of 2013 where I actually started actively training myself like doing like boot camps and gym and then in this time I had a pretty good relationship with myself like ate whatever I wanted trained whatever I wanted I was a very intuitive uni student as well so I just did what you know uni students do all the time um, and then in 2014 I decided to do the bodybuilding bodybuilding comps but like in the mm-hmm. bikini division as well not so much for the glorification of like being on a stage but I'm a I really like challenges and to me this was like a hard challenge but also quite a rewarding one and then I realized after training I could actually do it well and I so entered into my first competition and that was just kind of what like started everything so I did quite well I continued on with bodybuilding for a number of years um and but I was quite good at it so that obviously reading out of my fire and that obviously did change the way that I looked at myself it changed the way that I looked at food a number of number of other things but it wasn't until sort of 2018 that I realized I need to start looking at other parts of my health as well so that's a good four years of mm-hmm. focusing on just training and like training in your, in your body and then because I was on this um contraception the depot injection which you get every sort of three months mm-hmm. and that completely reduces all um hormones in your body essentially so estrogen progesterone um, and I obviously didn't do what the doctors say. I stayed on there for longer than two years. Um, cause you know, I think, well, it'll be fine. Like I train a lot. I eat well, my bone density should be fine. <clears throat> and then in 
And then it wasn't until I came off that, that um, my cycle didn't return after the allowable 18 months, they say. And that's kind of what started my HA journey was like, okay, something's actually wrong here. Um, and then after, well, I had one comp that I really wanted to do to like prove myself to myself. Um, and that was an IFBB comp, which I actually did quite well in, but I went to like the depths of, of, of prep, like really lean, really hard training. And then I think that really broke me in terms of like my HA, um, uh, problem, which I didn't actually think was a problem because you, you kind of blink us on when you're in prep. Mm-hmm. And I finished that prep and then tried to regain my cycle and realized I was not in a good place like hormonally. Like my levels were non-existent and I'm quite a data person. So I got my levels checked every sort of three months. Nothing was changing. I hired a coach to help me increase my calories because I was going through the thought process of eating more food, training less. That takes assistance. Like it's good to do it alone, but I needed someone there to sort of help me. And then after 12 months of increasing calories, there were still no adjustments to my hormones, like not even like a blip, like, all right, something is definitely wrong here. And then it was after realizing that doing a lot of my own research, getting onto social media, um, reading different books, I realized that it was definitely HA. Um, and then I started my all in approach in April of this year, actually. So it was okay, about so good, fairly recent. Yeah. So it was a good like 18 months of like what I call half in approach yeah. of seeing if I can do it, but still train and still do these other things. And it wasn't until like I knew nothing was changing that I needed to really commit to the recovery process. And what did your, I guess, half in look like? Because I know it's it's super common and sometimes it's really helpful for women to just go half in at the start because the idea of going all in is just too scary, too overwhelming. And also I just like the life I'm living right now. I don't want to give up all my sport and I don't want to, you know, there is a lot of resistance there. Um, What was your, you know, like halfway looking like? And I guess, how did that feel in the process? So I know for me, when I was half in for a point, it was okay. And then I just got so fed up with not making training gains and things like that from holding back intensity that I just got frustrated and went stuff and I'm not doing it. I'm not going to train for four weeks. Um, what was your half in like and what officially made you go, no, I've got to go all in? So I had a coach to help me increase my calories. So that was the step one. And then, but like, I knew I wasn't eating to the level that I should have been. Mm-hmm. But like I was probably, I was probably eating maybe four to 500 less than before what I should have been. But then I also, I didn't track a lot of stuff, like a lot of sweets. So mm-hmm. yeah, I would say some days I was okay. Some days I wasn't, but half in, I was still training. Um, and like hard training, like I, I love training. Like it's my mental health break. It, it just makes me, me. Um, so I was still training normally and I was, I was still getting strength gains, but not to like the great extent. Now I look back now, I'm like, I've just wasted like mm. my life. Um, so it was, it was more so more of an approach to increasing calories rather than a, a, a whole overview holistic approach. So trying to increase calories slowly. Training was the same. I was still working like two jobs, um, trying to be like the powerful independent woman that I am, trying to do everything. Um, so that was kind of like my half in was essentially just slowly increasing calories and trying to reduce dress that wasn't necessarily work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that lasted about 12, 18 months. And did you find that, I guess two questions, when you did your bodybuilding prep, did you do that yourself or did you have assistance from someone else for that? I had a coach for the first four years and then the, the, the last sort of two, I did the prep myself, but I consulted a lot with other coaches. Like being mm-hmm. in the industry, I knew quite a lot of people. So, um, and I knew how my body responded to different stimulus. So I did my own training program. And then towards the end, I had someone sort of start doing my skin folds and he was a coach as well. So we would just like do some banter. So I try trial and error a few things. But I think that could have been, well, that, that was probably my downfall as well, particularly mm-hmm. towards the end where I probably got myself to the point of being too lean, but lean enough for the comp, which is kind of annoying because it's like too lean for health, but lean enough for the comp. Yeah. And just sort of stuck in the middle. Now, when you started to increase the calories, did you find it helpful to have that coach there? Because one, it gave you accountability and two, sometimes you feel like you just need permission. It's like, I've been eating this particular way for so long and I've told myself this is the right way to eat. 
and I, I can't tell myself, like, I need something more than that. Was that coach really helpful in that manner? The fact that it's like, no, I've been given direction. I've just got to do it. Yeah. And, and yeah, he was, he was brilliant because he's, he's a, a comp prep coach and a, a health coach as well. So he's worked with a lot of women who have got their cycle back with him as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and he works a lot on mindset. So it was definitely helpful. But I think for me, I was still, I was trying to be like the naughty child of like, oh, I'll be fine if I don't have as many. Um, but we spoke every week and that definitely helped with a lot of the stress side of things for me. Mm-hmm. But I think the food to me, because I knew that if I say ate a certain amount of calories in the past, I'd gain weight I didn't like. And I thoroughly enjoyed the way that I looked. Mm-hmm. Um, like appearance to me, and it still is, I, I hold that quite high because it provides confidence to me, my view of my appearance, regardless of what it is. Um, so he helped me with a lot with that. So it was it's helpful to have a soundboard and a, and a level head to, to bring you back down to your, your sense of reality. Yeah. And what made you decide to go, all right, things aren't working enough's enough. And what exactly is your all in? Like, were you still doing some form of movement? Did you continue to calorie count or did you just eat more? Like paint us a bit of a picture as to what your all in was like. So the, the sort of cutting point was like by the, after 12 months, I was probably eating 2000, maybe 2200 on some days of food and my levels still weren't changing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my coach even approached me. He was like, I, I've done everything that I can, like, and nothing's changing. So I'm not really too sure if you staying with me is going to be beneficial because I don't have any other resources to give you. It could be something related to the depot injection that's causing other things as well. Mm-hmm. Cause he, and he, he was quite good. He's like, I can't, I don't think I'm the best. I was going to say, what a great human. Yeah, there's not many like, people out there who'd go like, I've, I've exhausted all of my knowledge and we've, we've explored everything, yeah. you know, I want better for you. And yeah, yeah. he's, he's, that's amazing. Yeah, no, he, he's brilliant. I still talk to him now about it as well, um, which is really good. But um, it was more so like when it, I had, like, I gave myself like a couple of months and then I did a blood test like this I think it was in March and then I went on holiday for like a week and I like redo like I relaxed and everything like that but I I got on holiday with my partner and he's a coach as well so we went to the gym every day like we trained really hard because that's our version of fun I know that's weird but we like we like to do my husband and I are the same (laughs) it's like that was Um, our hobby yeah like we still relaxed we slept um we do fun things but then when I came back and I got another test my estrogen, which had actually slightly increased, it decreased again. And okay. I was eating more food, but then I was like, okay, so the only the only variable that's changed is the training because mm-hmm. I was training quite intensely in there. And as soon as I saw that drop and I'm like, it's not the food, it's not the stress, it's possibly the training as well. Mm-hmm. So it was literally after I got that result back that I bit the bullet and I was like, I just have to do it. I've tried everything else. Um, and it pretty much it was April 9th. I just like, I just did stuff. And that's when I started like, two and a half thousand calories minimum I stopped all training I tried to keep steps up for a couple of weeks just for my own mental health Mm -hmm. but then after a while I just took my watch off and I was like just do nothing like do what you need to do and then the weight sort of crept on after a couple of months and I just kept telling myself you need to do this that's sort of how it sort of transitioned of I'm a data person, so I've got a lot of tests. <laughs> um, I guess that was my next question, though. When you were getting your blood work and things like that done, did you just have a GP organising it for you and then you would see your coaches or whoever to interpret it? Or did you actually have yeah. an endocrinologist, gynecologist, something like that working with you as well? So, so to start off with, like my mum works in a doctor's surgery, mm-hmm. so which, which, which helps. Um, so I went and saw her doctor um, sort of every sort of three months or so and she would send me the results straight away as soon as um, they came through which is really which is helpful for me to see so I got and he is a classical doctor um, hadn't didn't really know any of the, the history of hypothalamic amenorrhea mm. he could see that there was something going wrong and it took him a, probably a good 12 months to realize okay we need to address this now because he just thought like have a steak or eat more food it wasn't necessarily a, an intervention um, and then I knew I needed more help so I went to an endocrinologist here in Brisbane and she was brilliant like she knew exactly what hypothalamic amenorrhea was um she reaffirmed it was more so for me reaffirming what I already knew as well and she was like what you're doing now is good like I would definitely want to reduce your stresses and that's all stresses so food training work 
Um, and she said to go away, come back after a, a couple of months and we do the tests again, which we did. Um, and they increased, but not, not a lot. So she said, sort of give it more time. So she was quite good. But then after four months, you could see that sort of my mental health was deteriorating uh, quite a lot. From not this is training. four months of all in. Yeah, four yeah. months of all in. So she put me on um, a cycle of HRT. So your estrogen and your progesterone pills. Um, more so for the bone density side of things, but then also if I wanted to train, I would still have estrogen in my body and that kind of stuff. But then after a month, I knew my brain, this is just another Band-Aid, like mm -hmm. you were doing well, your, your hormones were increasing, but not to the, the right level. And then after a month, I went off the um, HIV because I knew it wasn't getting me the end result, essentially. Did you have any side effects when you were on the HRT? Did you feel differently, headaches, and emotional, anything like that? The the um, the estrogen like definitely threw me a number. Like <laughs> more so, like I didn't really notice much, but like my my boobs got really sore like all the time, mm -hmm. like all the time. And that was probably the only sort of symptom that I that I saw. I'm I'm not really a moody person, so I didn't really notice those shifts. Um, and then after 10 days of having it, I actually had what's called a, a breakthrough bleed, which means like it's your body trying to adjust to the increase of hormones and that, but that lasted for a good seven days. So in my brain, I was like, maybe I was like kind of recovered. And then I just like stuffed it. I'm not really too sure what it meant, but then after the, the trial period, having the progesterone. Well, I think um, the... um, like your lining needs to be thick enough for that bleed to happen. So it's like, you're not. You're not quite there to do it yourself, but there was enough there that that hormone could stimulate it. Because a lot of women go through that with the, I think it's the clomoid challenge or Provera. There's a few ones. Like, yeah, yeah, same sort of thing. Um, so how long were you on the HRT? Just the month? Yeah, literally I did one cycle. I did like the 24 days of the, or the whole thing for estrogen, but then I did that seven days of the progesterone. I bled as, as the um, studies show. And then after I finished the cycle, like the bleeding cycle, I just stopped taking it. And that was after I had another consult with um, Dr. Nicola Rinaldi because I wanted her to yeah. confirm my thoughts just to make sure that I was doing the right thing because <laughs> my endocrinologist wanted the best for me as well. But then I also knew in my head it's not going to be the best way to get it back naturally. Like it's just another false assistance essentially. Do you feel like that it, you kind of, um, I guess, got benefit from that experience though? Because you said mentally you're feeling a bit shaky about things. You've jumped on the HRT and just having done that kind of reconsolidated exactly what you wanted and how you wanted to achieve it. Because so many women are like, don't let interventions kick in. And I completely understand when I'm taking the natural approach. But sometimes that little deviation actually helps reconsolidate exactly what you want. And that, it sounds like that's what happened with you. To be honest, that is a brilliant way of looking at it. And I've actually never looked at it like that. Um, definitely, it reaffirmed that I knew exactly what I was doing, why I was doing it, and that I knew I didn't need any other assistance. I just needed to keep keep on the journey and keep going. So, yeah, that's a brilliant way of putting that, actually. <laughs> Good. Um, so how soon after did, I guess, your period return? So um, you'd been, what, all in for maybe a month. You've done the HRT for a month. Yeah, I, I, was, in, I was all in for for five months and I started the HRT at month four I think but then the, on the fifth month which I stopped and then after the HRT it was like 40 days or something after that um that I actually got a cycle which yeah. was my first cycle yeah yeah and I'm guessing super excited when the bleed showed up oh 100% <laughs> like I um it was funny I knew I would be related because I, I was tracking through the strips and stuff I'm looking, looking at cervical mucus, but it was so funny because I went out the night before because I was trying to be really good. Like, don't drink alcohol, just do your body and stuff. And I got hit to the point and I was like, stuff it. Like, I'm just going to go out. And I had like a good couple of drinks, had a big night. And I was like, oh, I woke up the next morning. Like, oh, I probably shouldn't have done that. It's probably not conducive to my hormonal health. And I went to the tour and I was like, fuck yeah. It worked. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like maybe it was just me laughing. But that's, well, to a degree, yeah. It's like, obviously, you know, drinking's not good for you. But just if you take the drinking out of it, it's like you let your hair down for a night. 
It's like, even though you're trying to relax and try to be stress-free, there's still that, you know, it's a big task to do all these things in order to recover your period. And sometimes you can underestimate it because you're actively doing it all the time. But um, no, that's that's absolutely amazing. And it's quite a quick turnaround when you think about how long you actually did have HA for, um, quite a few years. And then within five months, you've had that period back um with the next two periods after that did they come on time were they late were they delayed because obviously that's the next step isn't it making sure that the next one comes and the next one and navigating what life is like post HA and I knew I knew from all the studies that I knew it wouldn't be a normal 28 days um so I knew the first one I think I took 30 maybe 30 days um for me to ovulate and then so I got one period and then because you do not don't necessarily know when you ovulate um I actually got pregnant on my second cycle oh wow I'm pregnant right now (laughs) which is is a definitely an unheard of sort of obviously it's not unheard of because it's like that's what you're meant to do um (laughs) but yeah he couldn't give me five cycles he just had to give me one and then sorry you want a baby now <laughs> that's all we need oh wow that's so exciting yeah. isn't it because you know because part of the process sometimes you lose a little bit of faith in your body's capacity to do things and then yeah. you get this period come back and it's like wow and then all of a sudden you're pregnant it's like wow <laughs> that's so amazing and I definitely didn't think it happened that quickly because you like your body's still trying to recover I still like not really recovered um obviously my body had other other thoughts in my brain. <laughs> yeah, no, it blows my mind. There's um, so for me, I had HA for six years, half in for eleven months, all in for four weeks, and then I think I had three periods, and then I fell pregnant. And I just remember telling my husband, and you know, obviously he was excited, but the other part was like, God, I thought it would take like two years, like a random yeah. number with no actual data. But in his mind, it's like you've been on pause for six years. Surely. Yeah. And, um, and so many people think the same thing. And a woman who I was working with recently, she had HA for 13 years, had one site, one period, and now she's pregnant. And it's like, our our bodies are amazing. If you just give them the right environment, they will flourish. And it's like, it's not like we were trying and I was tracking my ovulation as well, but, you know, being female there, the sperm can last like four to five four to five days um in your uterus so it was like that will be safe um but then you don't really know if you're going to ovulate like three days later so it was that like weird weird conundrum um but but it was it it was exciting though I'm still a little bit in shock because I'm like this isn't happening because I wasn't prepared for it as well of course and it's a good shock but then I'm like but then I'm like okay is it going to be fine after but then I've heard red stories that it usually goes back to normal because now I'm not eating as much because, you know, I can't at the moment. So I'm like, I've got one brain saying eat yeah. and then the body saying, no, can't do that right now. <laughs> so that's yeah. a bit of a conundrum now. Absolutely. Because the whole HA recovery process is kind of going against all of your thoughts. It's like, you've got to force feed and you've just got to go break all the rules. And then during pregnancy, I found anyway, you're actually so in tune with your hunger. Like I, I found that the most healing part of my eating disorder and not saying you have to be pregnant in order to heal your eating disorder, but I did find that any last trace of that got deleted because I was either intensely hungry or just not. Like it was really simple. There was no kind of maybe I do, maybe I don't. It was just one or the other. And it was quite therapeutic to just have it be so simple. Mm. And I, I definitely would agree with that because I think towards the end of HR, I was definitely a lot more in tune with like my hunger cues and, but it was still, you're still feeding yourself when you're not always hungry. Like I was still, mm. cause being a PT, I'd still get up quite early and I wasn't having food as soon as I woke up, which um, changed. And I think that was a big thing that um, led me to being recovered a lot quicker was I was having like a four hour gap before eating just cause I don't like eating as soon as I get up and I go mm. to work or, or, or coach. And then getting up and having something to eat straight away, like a banana, um, was definitely still force feed. But now with the pregnancy, it is 100% like what your body needs. Like I'm eating things I haven't eaten in years because my body is like, and it's weird because I've never had a craving before, but now I'm craving a lot of carbs. I'm craving milk for, for something, like, which is obviously my body needs calcium, mm-hmm. but it's, it's weird now listening to your body for what it actually needs which is kind of cool 
Um, and how specific it is, like detour into the whole pregnancy talk. I remember I, I didn't really crave anything. I definitely loved salt throughout the whole experience. Salt was just amazing. Um, but Migori noodles, I'm not sure if you would have had those. They're like two-minute noodles but a different yeah. brand. And I loved them in high school, like when I was 17, 18. I'm, I was 27, 28 when I was pregnant. And I remember from about eight weeks through to 24 weeks, all I wanted was meager and noodles. And I wouldn't allow myself to eat them because I still had that lingering, like, you know, they're overprocessed and they're sold and all this sort of stuff. And you're pregnant and you can have a little bit of stuff, but you don't want to have too much. And for some reason, that was still just a really off limits food that had been sitting there for a long time. Anyway, I got to 20 something weeks and thought, stuff it, I'm just, I'm just going to eat them. And I can, I still remember being so shocked at how accurate my taste of them was. Like the whole time I was craving them, I could literally taste exactly what these noodles <laughs> were like. And I'm sitting there eating the bowl. I'm like, this is exactly what I envisioned in my head. This is exactly what I wanted. And it's a 10 year old memory. Yeah. Like it's 10 That's years old. Life. And I was so satisfied. It was like, oh, that was the best meal I have had in like 10 years. And it's so boring. <laughs> That's funny though. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, but there, I've heard of women, you know, eating chalk because they're craving magnesium. They literally eat chalk sticks. Yeah. What, I mean, like, like actual chalk. My um my husband's what? cousin, niece. Yeah, yeah. She it likes was... I think something was a little off because I mean just okay, that like, <laughs> your face. Anyone who's watching the YouTube <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> Um, oh, no, that's not healthy. No, I yeah, I heard the story. I'm like, are you sure? And they've gone, no, she had a packet of chalk sticks and just sat there like chomping on them. Um, oh, apparently she couldn't stop. Oh, anyway. <laughs> um, now, I guess because you are a PT and you are a women's health coach, you've got both elements now because you've you've done the extremes. You've been through bodybuilding. You've done comp prep. You've gone through hormone restoration and repair. I guess two kinds of questions. One, how do you coach women to protect their hormones and make sure that, because it's okay to have physique goals. It's okay to want to lose weight. And I think sometimes that can get a little bit tarnished throughout the journey because it's like weight loss got us in this position. Now we never need to lose weight again. And it's it's tricky because it's okay to want change. Um, how do you, I guess, coach women around weight loss that protects their hormones? Um, let's answer that one first and I'll go to the next one. <laughs> it's more so and i'm finding it's a lot more prevalent is so many women are unfamiliar with their cycle what it actually is what actually produces a cycle so the first thing as you ask is what how much they actually know about like menstrual health and if they're regular and things like that and if it's then if they are and they're wanting a weight loss journey it's you want to always and it's always interdependent depending on the person but usually quite okay until something sort of disrupts the menstrual cycle so some women can respond really well to rapid weight loss if they are of a larger individual as well then mm -hmm. rapid weight loss isn't always terrible but yes it can still induce ha even if you are overweight but it's more so for them giving them awareness that as soon as something sort of comes astray then we need to adjust things um, and it's in keeping that awareness around why it's important to be regular and then also have that always instilled each sort of each month that it was sort of or each week that I train them so that they don't like wait a month like oh and they don't wait a month to tell me or two months to tell mm -hmm. me that they've lost their cycle um because it, it, it's quite good now because as soon as something's astray they let me know straight away yeah um for that reason and it's and a lot of the times it can also be from stress rather than diet and the exercise so I'll always try and address if something is astray, what other stresses outside of training and nutrition is going on. And if it is like a significant life stress, and obviously that needs to be addressed from a mental perspective. And then obviously training and nutrition or a diet rather can obviously impact the effects of that. So I try and look at all ends of the spectrum and make sure that they are doing so as well um, in, in throughout, throughout the whole process. And with all my social media stuff, it's I'm always um, posting information about menstrual health and also, also psychological health so that as soon as they meet me, they know exactly what I'm going to ask them. Yeah. And I guess that's one thing that's incredibly positive about the whole 
HA space because for, my gosh, the longest time, no one really knew what it was. It was just a marker of being a bodybuilder or a marathon runner or, yeah, you're an athlete. That's what happens. No biggie. You'll get over it one day and swept under the rug. And then, um, you know, later generations sort of come through and it's like, oh, no, this is a problem. And now we're in a space where, okay, still way too many women have got HA, but we're also in a position where so many women have recovered. They're on social media. They're educating. They're sharing their stories. So now we're in a place where we've got trainers like yourself who are going, well, what is your cycle like? Do you know it exists? Do you know the different stages? And did you know that whenever we're sort of train, uh, changing diet and nutrition, we need to be cautious around, you know, the, the length of your cycle or if your PMS symptoms change? And that's a really powerful thing because, you know, our menstrual cycle actually is such a great tool to assess our health. Um, and as you said, on the, the emotional stresses too, it's, it is easy to blame it on exercise all the time because a lot of the literature suggests it is purely exercise and it is a big part of it. Um, but as you said, sometimes training and nutrition has been relatively the same, but something really chaotic has happened at work or in a relationship and suddenly that woman's a week late. Yeah. And that's, um, yeah, that's a huge thing that people don't think of either. And it's not often that anyone asks, because I, I guess it's one of those topics that for the most part, no one wants to talk about. Like, it's yeah. just a thing women get, they deal with it, you know, no, no need to hover over it. Um, but even how you mentioned the coach that you were going through at the start of your HA recovery, he actually works with a lot of women who have, yeah. I'm guessing, comp prepped and he's helped them get their cycle back. Um, and, I, and I love that those kind of coaches are coming about because there's, there's so many women that this is happening to. And imagine, you know, fast forward a few years from now, you've got some incredible athletes that have also got a, a, a wonderful cycle and yeah. the performance they'll be able to achieve as a result of that is amazing. Yeah, 100%. And then when you can feel your body the way that it needs, your results like far outweigh what it would have been if you, were, if you didn't sort of address that, if you were deprived essentially. Yeah, absolutely. Now with your training side of things too, do you sort of specialize in comp preps? Do you train every kind of woman with every kind of goal? What's your favorite? What do you specialize in? Um, yeah. For me, I love bodybuilding for me, like, I, but I've never given someone a comp prep. Like I'm not a comp prep coach. I know a lot about it, but to be honest, there's so much to comp prep that a lot of junior comp prep coaches don't necessarily know particularly around the psychology side of things and around the effects of the body. So there's no way I'm a, a comp prep coach. That's something that I do, not coach. But I still do the same methodologies around um, physique-based training. But for me, I, uh, I specialise in women. I still train some men though, um, but I work in a, a, an, a, an all-female gym. So that's kind of like instilled that in, into me as well. And then to be honest, it's pretty much all women who are unhappy with who they are with their appearance, but also internal as well. I'm quite good at helping people um, who have injuries, like uh, pretty much most injuries and sort of bringing them back to sort of movement. But to be honest, I seem to attract women who have gone through their own sort of like discovery journey, not so much for HA, but like they've been fit, now they're not fit and they want to sort of get back to it, but not to the same way that they went there at the same time. Mm -hmm. Um, that's a really popular thing though, isn't it? It's because it's so easy to be extreme. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on that too, because, um, you know, bodybuilding preps and things like that, like absolutely they are difficult, but they're also so structured that if you, if you work well with structure, it's actually really empowering, exciting things. It's like, you know what you're doing, you're going to execute it perfectly. But then you've got the other side of the fence where finding balance is actually really hard. And I find that that's where a lot of my, men, females, both tend to have that in really intense yo-yo dieting experience because they know how to go hardcore with training and diet, but then they slingshot back into it's too hard to maintain. I'm just going to chill out, eat whatever I want for a while. And finding that happy medium can be quite difficult. And that happy medium doesn't need to be shredded. It could just be a physique that you're, you're confident, you're proud, you're, you feel great, you like how you're looking, and you're really enjoying your training. When you find, um, I guess more so women, because that tends to be who you 
work with at the moment. What are your kind of main tips and tricks for them when they've gone from the crazy extremes to not doing enough and you know they're not enjoying it either it's okay to not do enough but they're not enjoying it they don't like themselves they just want that perfect balance what are some ways you sort of talk them through and help them get through that the first thing is usually if they're like that which means they are an all or nothing type of person which is a huge problem if they want to find balance because there's no balance in all or nothing um so it's usually addressing the reasons why they want it all first and then why they went to nothing um, and is it, it's usually as a result of trying to please someone else, trying to reach for a goal that they think that they need. Um, so it's really addressing the psychology behind what got them there to that point where they really enjoyed themselves, but also what got them to the point of being all nothing. So usually if that's kind of the first conversation, then and for them to understand, they don't have to be 100% all the time. Like it's perfectly okay to be 80%. And allow yourself that 20% leeway to be like, you don't have to be on all the time. If you fall off, you haven't actually fallen off. You've just hit a speed bump. Kind of plan. A speed bump, you've, you've hit, you are living your life. Like if you went on the weekend and you had a burger that wasn't on your plan, I'm not going to like bastardize them for going off their plan. It's more of a conversation of being like, let's talk about why you decided to eat something that wasn't necessarily on the path that we've written. And like, oh, I really wanted to go out with my friends. I didn't want to feel like a, um, a social, um, be, be excluded from social events. So I ate something, but it was quite good. Like I didn't have what I normally have. So then I instilled the positives in that, which it would be, okay, so you chose something that you wouldn't if you were on the, the nothing side of things. Mm-hmm. So you, you, you remain conscious. And to me, I always, you always want to give them positives before you come in with a bit of a, an assistance or a negative. So it's usually addressing First of all, reasons why they're all or nothing. Second of all, their perception of themselves in an, in this balanced environment. Find out what balance actually is for them on a lifestyle, work, family, training, nutrition. So I go through a thorough sort of mm-hmm. conversation with them. And then that sort of sets the scene for them as well. Because it's like, oh, I can be, I can be both these people. Like I can relax, but I can also work hard when I want to. So a lot of it comes around to psychology before anything else yeah absolutely and I love how you identified the the choice aspect of things because I think that goes hand in hand with that all or nothing mentality as we get so blocked into rules and restrictions that can make us really successful and accomplish incredible things but they can also be debilitating when used incorrectly um but the power of choice, I guess, is what shifts us from that empowering point to the debilitating point. It's okay, 80% of the time I am executing everything perfectly, but when I chose to have that burger in that moment with my friends, I actually got to enjoy something really social and mm. therefore it, like it was worth it. I'm, I'm glad I made that choice and it's not, you know, this major catastrophe that we can feel like it is if we're stuck in everything must be perfect to a T all the time. And then like being comfortable with, okay, that's happened. Just let it it's happen. Just don't necessarily let it carry on to what's happening the next day and the next day. Like I've got a client um, who has a history of disordered eating. Mm-hmm. Um, she used to binge eat quite a lot. And then when we're on the call now, um, she said to me this week, she's like, oh, I had a binge on the weekend. I'm like, okay, what is a binge? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I had two donuts. And I was like, okay, we need to change your terminology of what a binge is because I got her to explain what a binge was you know six months ago when she mm. would binge and it would be an all-night effort of whatever she could find in the in the house okay yeah that is a binge what you've just done now is you've lived your life in the moment that it was and she's like yeah I didn't do anything after like I just had those two donuts because they're at work I'm like okay your your psychology behind what a binge is needs to change now like in your mindset because you have done something that is of a normal human nature that hasn't distracted you from your goal of wanting to be a healthier human. So it's a lot of that is around the psychology behind terminology and what they classify as falling off the bandwagon or or having a binge. Yeah, and also identifying the links between old behaviours and habits because of what I get from that story or example anyway is that her, her previous binges were really intense she kind of went out of her way to consume that food which is really common with a binge Um, and then I'm sure she would have restricted twice as much in the days following 
But in this new life that she's living, where she's eating a bit more freely, but still achieving what she wants to, the donuts feel like a binge because it's more than what she'd normally have. But in comparison, you can't even compare her current timeline to her past. Yeah. But that word's been transferred over to mean the exact same thing. Mm. Um, and like you said, you could almost interpret it as she had, you know, a dessert. Like it's not, it's not yeah, a binge. Yeah, like I went over 500 of my calories. And like from a, from a macro point of view, like looking at your week, that's like 5% over your weekly calories. Like it's not, it's not terrible. And because mm. people always think they need to be on yeah. par with everything, I'm like, that's not living though. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the logic you apply to that situation too, because if you look at 500 calories over a whole week, it, it's nothing. Like it's really not much. If you're preparing for a bodybuilding comp or something super extreme, okay, we don't have those kind of allowances. But on the just living side of things, it, it's a drop in the ocean. It's not not that big of a deal. Um, so I, I love that you have those kind of conversations to just bring people back to reality. It's like it, it feels really bad, but let's be honest. Yeah. The rest of your week has been pretty amazing. Yeah. And this one little hiccup, you know, we're going to be okay. Yeah. Because you can provide someone with structure after structure, but their interpretation of what structure is, is that that needs clarity for people who have come from a past of that or even a past of just even normal all or nothing approach. Yeah, absolutely. So with your clients, um, do you train them obviously in the gym doing their strength sessions and then you do coaching calls as well, sort of talking about that whole psychology side of things? So um, I work at an all-female gym, so I do semi-private stuff and one-on-one-to-ones there. Mm-hmm. And then I've also got a an online base or an online client base as well So um, to help myself reach more people. And then also I'm trying to help women that can't necessarily afford, obviously, the personal training, um, just provide them with structure around training, nutrition. So I do sort of a bit of, bit of both. Yeah, fantastic. Now we'll leave your contact details in the show notes as well if anyone wants to reach out and connect with you. Um, I guess to sum things up in regards to the HA side of things, what would be some of your top tips to anyone who's about to embark on the HA recovery journey who might be in the same shoes as you? They've been a competitor. They love training. Um, you know, it's a really part of their life. They draw confidence from how they look, but they know they've got to bite the bullet and recover their hormones. What are some things that really, really helped you through the process? I'll probably go a little bit against the grain here because I know that a lot of competitors and that this is the the way that I've done it have been able to regain their cycle just by increasing calories where they haven't. And that's what my coach was, was specialized in as well. Like he got their calories up two and a half, 3000 calories by still being able to maintain that similar or same level of intensity for training, not comp prep training, but like quite good. So if they haven't physically tried to increase their calories without addressing everything else that's that would be my first respect from a mindset point of view because it, it, going all in like it's a hard slog mm-hmm. um and then if you feel like you you know that that's not going to be true like you know your brain you know you're not going to be able to do that then to sort of go all in it's for me that the best tip for me would be don't be ashamed by it like and then to to tell as many people as you can about it I think that was the biggest thing for me. Like I was so open about it. One, because I wanted to make myself feel better about doing it. And then other people knew what was happening so that no one would make comments towards me or think, you know, weird in my brain, comments behind my back, like, oh, she's gaining weight. Mm-hmm. Like I was, I was up front with everything. Like I'm doing this because of X, Y, and Z. One, to raise awareness and two, so that they wouldn't have uh, a, mis- a misconception of what I was doing as well. But I think definitely you need you need a support base. Um, you need to accept that if you're going to do it, you, you have to do it. Like there's no, once you're all in, you have to stay all in until you recover that cycle because it's going to, if you go all in, half in, not in, all in, half in. It gets more and more confusing as well. Like it, it becomes so muddled. And like being, I think being a competitor actually helped me with that because I'm very good if I have a task to do. Like I will, they called me the badger because like I would just get stuff done in an aggressive way. Um, so if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do something. So I think that helped me as well of, of having that resilient nature. Um, so definitely support base. And then I highly recommend reading about it, like exactly what it is, exactly what your hormones mean and do, 
because then that I think that provides clarity on what's actually happening in your body because then it I think you can then validate what's what's actually happening from a mental point of view and then the next thing was you need to find like a good support group that are going through HA or who have gone through HA because as much as you'd like to believe no one's going to get it no one's going to understand why you're doing it no one's going to understand the depths that you're going to go in because you have your mom or your or your family like you'll be fine or like you don't you don't need to do that that's a bit aggressive why are you doing that um and they see you being really unhappy and like we'll just stop yeah especially when they because they say it from such a loving place it's like this is making me happy like retreat and it's like no that's the worst thing I can do and you're saying that feels like a tease because I do want to retreat like don't don't tell me that um on on the cusp of quitting and then they they, someone who who you look up to or who you listen to tells you to stop being like okay I've got to yeah it can create space for it to happen yeah did you find that being open and honest about it as well helped with because I know with me being open and honest about it, a big part of my fear around HA recovery was I was so scared of people thinking I'd quote unquote, let myself go thrown in the towel. She doesn't care about herself anymore. And for me, as soon as I sort of owned it and said, Hey everyone, this is what I'm doing. There was no fear of assumption because it's like, you can't assume anything. Cause I've thrown it all out there. You know, my life, you know, exactly what I'm doing. Um, and you know what? In reality, no one really cares. But to you, it feels yeah. like everybody cares. Everyone is paying attention. They can see every speck of, you know, fat you might have gained or, you know, you, you go a bit crazy with it. But everything calms down for anyone who's feeling really emotional about it right now. It's completely normal, but it does settle. Um, did you feel the same way of just taking ownership? Yeah, like when when you tell people, you also then reinforce it in your brain that it's the right choice to do. Um, and then I think you, you, you tell people so that you feel less, but it took me, cause I've got, a, I've got a, a what, what I consider like a, a healthy social media following. So I, I actually stopped posting on, so on social media, like I still did stories and stuff, but I wouldn't post like old photo shoots. I wouldn't post anything about me. Like I was very, I went to like a bit of a cave in terms of that respect, but my whole community around me that I knew like sort of face to face knew what I was doing, but I didn't. I think I was still very conscious of what the world would think, which is stupid, but, and then it wasn't until I became comfortable in myself enough to share, start sharing the journey. Then I was like, okay, people actually need to know more about it. But I think I definitely agree that you need to tell people and as many people as you can about what's happening, because it makes you feel better. And as soon as they know, they'll provide you with that little bit of support as well, even if they don't understand it. And they'll probably tell you sometimes you're crazy but the more people that you tell for me the better off it made me and as soon as I got my cycle and I told everyone I had like the greatest support base around me like it was incredible so I think Mm -hmm. that also helped too Um, and I guess one thing to just wrap things up when you think about all the challenges that happen throughout the whole journey from you know half in to all in and tears frustration all of it the day that your period finally come back was everything worth it yeah, yeah t- to be honest, the whole experience was worth it. Like I knew my psychology of, of body image changed, my approach to eating changed. Like I had Maccas for the first time in 10 years throughout HA. And I was like, okay, not that I, I looked to Maccas as a good thing, but I wasn't terrified of the calories involved in all the unhealthiness of it. So to me, it was just a reaffirmation that um, one, you can do it. And two, it was just it definitely just, it comes together and you're like, you give yourself a bit of a fist bump and you're like, yeah, you did it. No, it's the best moment. And I, I like finishing off with, you know, that whole, it is worth it because you just, you can't imagine how empowering that moment is when the period arrives until you've actually felt it because it, it really is that like, yes, everything was worth it. The gritting my teeth, the doing things I don't want to do all the doubts that you have that you're constantly battling, like, no, this isn't going to work. It's not going to happen for me. Maybe I should just go back to everything else. Maybe I'm that unicorn that everyone recovers and I don't. Um, There's so many things you tell yourself to try and get yourself out of it. And you've got to battle them. You've got to cage those thoughts up all day long, every day. And it's exhausting. Like it is hard. But Mm. when that period shows up, it's just the best. (laughs) I've had a lot of people like ask me, like how long was your journey? How many calories did you eat? And like, to be honest, 
feel completely different. Like what I tell you is not going to be the same to you. Like for me, it took six months and 15 kilos. For yeah. someone else, it could take two kilos in one month. Or someone else, it could take two years and 20 kilos. Like there's no median. Like there's mm. all there is, but like not to the level that people like to believe. Well, because um, everyone wants that magic recipe. Hey, it's like, but if I just gain five kilos, because it tends to be that five kilos is the magic number because we're so structured. It's yeah. like, oh, you know what? It's actually such a waste of your personal time and energy to be assessing everyone else's journey, trying to work out what will help you, like put it towards researching, like you said, get to know about your hormones and your body, put it, spend it socializing or, you know, studying or there's so many things that that um, analyzing everyone's recovery story, if it's for inspiration, fantastic, yeah. keep it. But if it's to keep critiquing your own path, stop doing it, like just delete. And like I would listen to some podcasts that people didn't have the same experience as me. Like I was five months all in, gained all this weight. Someone's come on who's, who's literally been in it for four weeks and they get the cycle back. And like a part of me was like, this is bullshit. And a part <laughs> of me was like, well, no, because like this is her journey. That's like right. Her journey is really different. I did find it quite hard though following um, leaders in the industry or leaders within the HA um industry being linear individuals and having not gone through the same weight struggles like in their head they have gone through the same weight struggles but not to the level of someone like myself or other people that I've known who have had to gain a large amount of amount mm -hmm. of weight I found like as much as I respect them as much as I look up to them it's still quite hard to relate to someone who hasn't gone through that level of that level of discomfort even though they've had a discomfort in, in my brain it's not the same discomfort so I tried to really make sure I didn't look at anything like that for a long period of time because everyone's journey is different and everyone's perception of what their journey is is different as well. Yeah, and I, I absolutely love and agree with everything you just said then because I, I felt the same way. I had I was definitely on the higher end of the weight gain side of things and as much as I love hearing other people's journeys and researching and things like that, sometimes it, it left a bit of a bitter taste in my mouth because it's like, but you haven't seen what it's like to go from this shape to this shape. And yes, I love and appreciate my body. I've got my period. I'm so great that it, it just feels very different. Um, but as you said, everyone's journey, it's kind of relative in that way because to them, they're still a transformed body. We're a transformed body at the core. It's all just transformation. Yeah. Like if you break it all down. Now, if anyone has listened to you speaking and heard about your journey and everything that you do to help women, where can they find you? Uh, I'm pretty much only on Instagram at the moment. Um, my handle is, it's a weird one, it's um, Jester, so J-E-S-S-T-E-R with two underscores after that. Um, and that's pretty much me. <laughs> awesome, guys. I will pop that in the show notes if you want to reach out and have a chat with Jessica. Um, in the meantime, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your HA journey and also how now you're helping women get through their own health and fitness journeys. And I absolutely love that you focus not only on training but the psychology side of things because it's just such a powerful duo yeah thank you yeah i studied that at uni so it definitely has helped oh, of course well thank you so much and we'll see you next time thanks so much for listening in on today's episode or watching if you are here on youtube um i really appreciate all of your listening time and watching time and i'm just so grateful to have you here um thank you for the messages that have been coming through on the dms mainly on instagram with your recovery stories and first periods and i feel like we've grown together because a lot of you started listening early days of the podcast and now it's been six months 12 months and now you know you've gone through your journey you've got your period and it's just really cool so um thank you for that and i'm so glad to have been a part of that journey with you um I really appreciate your support. If you would like to like this episode, comment below or share it with someone who you think would enjoy it, um, that would be absolutely amazing because the more women we reach, the more we can feel empowered and continue to charge to our HA recovery and to an incredible life after. So thanks so much again and I'll see you in the next one.